Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Look, look, this is going to get a little weird for the next couple of weeks because we're in a brand new sermon series as a church on a book called Abraham, A Field Guide to Loving God. And what makes this weird is the book was actually written by, by me. It was written by me. And it's weird to talk about something that you did. It feels self-promotion-y, self-promotion. You ever met somebody who's a self-promoter? Oh, they're the worst. I just... I just can't, t- uh, uh, ugh. so I get it, but even though that is true, I do think the book is really valuable, I, and it's not valuable because I wrote it, it's valuable because it's the content of Gary Brashears, whose who's cohort I was in at Western Seminary, I asked him if I could turn his thoughts and his teachings t- that he gave our cohort over a series of semesters, um, if I could turn that into a book, he said yes, and graciously said yes. And so that's what we're left with. So the reason I'm excited about it is not because I wrote it, but because it's brilliant stuff by Dr. Gary Brashears and because I think it was really helpful. It's really helped me. So I'm just excited to share it. We're going to dive in. This week, Jay Kim's going to kind of lead the discussion and we're going to have a little Bible nerd out time with Sarah K. Lee. That's at the end. You'll also find out what Jay Kim and Dave Tish and Beyonce all have in common yeah that's right you're going to find out the answer to that fun trivia question all that's coming up next hey everybody welcome to the afterword i'm jay that's kind of my line you took my line i stole it i stole it from dave because dave usually hosts the afterword we're both here. We are together in the but, same room. Uh, but I'm I'm the host. I'm the host today. Why are you the host? I'm the host because if you were with us, uh, hopefully in person or even online this past week, you know that we started a brand new teaching series through the life of Abraham called Abraham, a field guide to loving God. Mm. And uh, this is going to be this is going to be a series that takes us all the way to Thanksgiving. Bam. We're exploring various moments in the life of Abraham who many of us know about. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you grew up singing about Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many, many sons, sons had Father, had Father Abraham. Abraham. Are you one of them? Uh, and so are you. So let's go marching on. Dum, bum, bum, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Abraham, we know about him. Many of us know snippets of his life. But this, this series um, is going to navigate us through these various moments, these really important stories, but they're all woven together uh, in such a way that his entire life and these moments reveal something crucially important. Mm. They, re- I mean, they reveal lots of things, but one of the things we think his life and these stories reveal to us is a full, whole, robust picture of what it means to live a life of love toward God, what it means to love God. The reason that's important for us is because here at Westgate, obviously, if you've been around, you know that one of our key values, one of the pillars upon our community is built, is the idea of um, the people of God being a people who love God. Right. And so we put a lot of time and energy into this. Dave, you in particular have put... It's 18 months, Jay. Inordinate amounts of time. 18 months. A year and a half of your life has gone into uh, writing, editing... Yeah, and crafting and producing now. Part of that's COVID. This book. If COVID hadn't happened, we would have accelerated things. I oh, think. sure. So yeah. there's a bit of a delay there, but it was 
two independent studies at Western. Yeah. And so that's two semesters plus another semester um, where I just did some of the background research. Right. So it's it was a long, kind of slow haul because you have to you there's so much in here. Yeah. That you had to I had to you know slog through. So yeah. it was it's it's been a long time. I can't believe it's here actually. It's yeah. Crazy. It's amazing. So many of you have gotten the book. If you haven't, then. Uh, you know, go on our website or email us. There's a digital copy, an audio copy, yeah. obviously. A, if you'd a like to hear more well. of my voice, can I tell you a story? <laughs> yeah, Dave we recorded we recorded the audiobook in the exact same studio where Destiny's Child recorded Destiny's Child, their 1998 yes. multi-platinum hit. Yes. Um, their uh, their album. That's so right. Very... Lo- lots of albums were recorded there. Correct. But uh, I Fresh stood... Prince, I believe, recorded an album there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. DJ Jazzy Jeff yes. and the Fresh Prince, otherwise yeah. known as Will Smith, but back then. Yeah. yeah. There's lots. Of... Have you been there? I recorded my audio. Shut up. There, yeah. that's, you did too? That's why we went there. Oh, my gosh. Mark asked me. So where you we and I have been in the same studio yes. as Beyonce. Yes. So if if you ever have a question. I like to say that Beyonce has been in the same studio as me. So if somebody uh, ever were to ask, what do Jay, Kim, David Tish, and Beyonce have in common? Yeah, that's right. There it there is. There is an answer. There's an answer. That's what's right amazing. There, there that's is what's in, yeah. an actual answer. Okay, so Dave, you wrote this incredible book that's going to be an incredible resource for our people. And of course, nine weeks. We're going to journey for nine weeks through the life of Abraham to discover more fully what it means to love God. Because I have two questions for you in oh. this discussion mm-hmm. to set up our entire series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first question is this. Before we get to what, what we think the Bible, why, it's, why it matters that we get it right in terms of understanding what loving God really means, I want to first ask this question. Do you feel like Christians understate the call to love God? And rather think of Christianity or their faith as a get out of hell card or a get out of jail free card in Monopoly or the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory when we die. And in so doing, sort of miss, maybe not intellectually, intellectually, we know, hey, we got to love God. But with our lives sort of live in such a way that really our faith is about making sure we don't go to hell when we die and instead we go to heaven. Yeah, I think that that caricature of the Christian faith is is fairly prevalent. I, I think it was Dallas Willard who explained it once in one of his books and it went off like an alarm bell in my head. The idea that the Christian faith what it means to have faith is you believe a certain set of prep propositions and then God scans your brain at the end of life, like a UPC code. And if those beliefs are in your head, you get in and that's pretty much the extent of it. And that has never made sense to me. Um, I grew You're up, saying Willard is critiquing he, that. Yeah, he's view, saying that's absolutely but not, that, but what that, it is. that is how many Christians think of. Yeah. I think it's a disembodied view that the, the the point of Jesus is the CEO of the afterlife and that's it. Yeah. And 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 we'll talk at length about where we think that idea comes from. I, I do think that um, there is a separation in some people's mind between what God is asking and what it means to live life with God. And for a long time, it was sort of presented to me, live any way you want as long as you believe these things. When mm-hmm. you die, you'll be okay. 
and I just that's just so so thin and shallow and not true yeah. biblically um, and so I do I do think that part of it is a reaction and, and when I when Brashears was explaining Dr. Gary Brashears was explaining this to our cohort and I get into this in the intro of the book I, I was like this is it this is this is what's going on yeah do, now do you do you think that that's true do you think that that's yeah some, some uh, a, a temptation in modern America yeah absolutely I mean you tell a story early in the book about when you were young and you had this sort of experience of almost kind of getting <clears throat> scared uh, into faith or yeah, something. Totally, you know? yeah. But it wasn't genuine. Like, you didn't really become a Christian at that point. You wouldn't consider yourself as as having become a Christian, but you saw a book or some pamphlet yeah, it was about, a, you know, yeah, yeah. It was a, it go was to a hell. Unless yeah, you're, you're going to go to hell unless you do this stuff. And that, and as a five-year-old, that really scared me. Yeah. And so they had a prayer that you prayed, like a magic spell. Right. And I did it, you know, it was a, you know, dear God, please forgive my sins or something like that. It was like six words. So I said it over and over again underneath my comforter and made sure I got it right. And that yeah. was it. That was the end of it. That was all that God was needed. Yeah. That was all that I needed to do. Right. And then, of course, later on, I encountered Christians who, who lived out and and looked as though from their words in life that they were living life with God, which was very confusing to me. Yeah. It was making, uh, it changed the way they behaved Yeah, in restaurants, yeah, at their yeah. job, with their spouses, with me. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I was like, well, this is interesting. Yeah. And those people were um, deeply impactful right. for me. And one of them is Diana, but there's lots of other folks. There's always a, a faithful remnant who take Jesus's words seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing it makes me think of is again, you know, Dallas Willard. Um, <clears throat> he famously said once before he passed away a few years ago, he said, "You know, I think that when I die, it'll take me a while before I realize I'm in heaven." And what he meant by that was that he tries, and it wasn't, you know, self. It wasn't a self congratulatory or you know, sort of, a, you know, self-applause or anything like that. He was just talking about the way he tries to live his life, which is to say that he tries to live his life so deeply aware of God and God's very real presence in him and with him and in inhabiting the world, you know, everywhere he went, sort of living with an awareness of God who by his spirit is at work and moving and moving things forward and bringing about good and healing and wholeness in big ways and small ways. He wanted to live his life like now in such a way that when he died, not much would change. Meaning he would just now more fully be in the presence of God in a way that he already is, just not quite Fully, you know? Yeah. And th it makes me think of that a little bit. I do think we we do that. We have a tendency to do that. Well, we, I mean, think, think about, we think about this yeah, life yeah. is this life, and then I die, and then there is the afterlife or heaven. And, and Joshua Ryan Butler did a lot of cool work on this, too. And he was really helpful, too. He talks about how when you think about the opposite of heaven, what do, what do you think of? Hmm. Yeah, hell. hell. Most right. people think about it. They're yeah. opposite places. One's up, one's down. 
And he said, so let's do a Bible search for all the times the words heaven and hell appear together in the text. Right. And it's zero. <laughs> so he said, what, what, is the, what is the pair of heaven, heaven with yeah. almost all the time in scriptures? Heaven and earth are meant to be together. They're star-crossed yeah. lovers who were torn apart by sin and God is working to get them back together. Heaven and earth, God's space and man's space need to come together. And yeah. that's that's the narrative of Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Yeah. And well, you see it in the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray. You yeah. Know, your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth, earth as it is in heaven. You see it in John's revelation, you know, in his vision of the future. Yeah. The end of the story, there is a new, new heaven, heaven and, and a new, new earth. earth that comes yeah. down. And instead of, and so that's the other thing. I remember early on in, in my early Christian life, when I first became a Christian right after college, I went up to, I would go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I was living in my hometown of... Yeah. near Dayton and I would go and drive five hours every week to go to Chicago to visit my friends at Moody Bible Institute yeah. and there was a guy there who was like a missionary kid and he had labeled everything in his room this will burn mm. because he wanted to talk about the impermeance of everything and that we're going to be whisked away to some other dimension or realm Yeah, and it's going to be whisked away to the clouds and we're going to play harps or something like that and I, I just think that that's bad actually bad theology Yeah, you know, that's not what we're, we're, we're offered heaven and earth the earth is renewed and yeah. god comes to reign in, yeah. and jesus comes to reign as the good king yeah. here in this renewed world it'll right. be different it'll in some yeah. ways i don't think there'll be mosquitoes perhaps or <laughs> or uh, maybe tofu would taste good i don't know but there will be some redemptive thing that will happen um sin will be wiped away and um yeah well okay so and I I don't think this is unfamiliar to our people. This is something we've talked about before. Sure. This concept that uh, it's not about getting a ticket into heaven. That's all you need, and then do as you please, and then when you die, you get to go to the nice place. It's not about that. Now, so then, if it's not about that, if if Christian faith is not about getting a ticket, saying the right prayer, going through the right ritual, whatever, then uh, it's about something now. It's about something here that leads into eternity. Yeah. And there's there's lots of ways to describe it, but one of the primary ways and one of the, the, the sort of multi-pronged approach to living that sort of heaven on earth life now is to live a life of love toward God, to love God. So I want that's the other question I want to ask. You know... Love is a strange word. It has, it's, it's one of the most elastic words in the English language. We use it and apply it to everything or anything. Right. Um, but the Bible seems to be clear, narratively especially, when we look at the lives of people who exemplified love toward God. It seems to be clear that love is is not sort of what we usually mean by love, which is I thoroughly like or enjoy a particular thing or something makes me feel really good. I have an emotional response to a thing. To varying degrees. Yeah. Which is why the classic example, we can say I love tacos and I love my spouse because what we're saying there is, yes, there is a delta between the two, but... What I mean is both tacos and my wife elicit a particular emotional response from me. Mm. 
And that's usually what we mean by love. But during this series, and what you do in the book is actually point us through Abraham's life in a dramatically not different or oppositional direction, but a much more rich and whole and participatory oh, man. direction. Yeah. So first, before I ask about that, I want to ask the question, what do we risk or what do we lose if we don't get this right? If we continue to believe as Christians that loving God is just one on a on a spectrum of just, oh, loving God means also he elicits a particular emotional reaction or response in me. But if we think of loving God just as that, what, what are we risking? What, what do we lose? What do we miss out on? I mean, well, imagine if if we could take that analogy and just say, what would it look like in a marriage if you said, loving my wife means, or loving my children means having a strong emotional feeling toward them. Mm. If that's your definition, your marriage isn't going to work very well. Mm. You're going to be frustrated endlessly mm-hmm. because you're emo- you can no more remain in a state of emotional bliss than you can remain perpetually hungry. Mm. It's just too difficult. And it's going to short circuit your experience in that thing. And you're actually going to be a pretty miserable spouse. Yeah. So if that's your definition of what it means to love your spouse, and that's going to short circuit a human relationship, imagine how much more so it's going to be with God. Mm -hmm. And I think, if I can just be frank, one of the things that's really frustrating for me growing up was to see people who would attend church, and then they would go out to to lunch after church and the waitresses would just groan because the worst customers in the entire world who were the cruelest and the least generous were the people who left our church and went out to eat afterwards. Mm. It was just non-transformative. And the Christians inside the church who showed me the opposite way said that that's unacceptable. That there's something about, they used words like fruit or connection, or Christ-likeness, or we have got to, to, to obey God. We have got to look like Him. Our character must match His ethical character. Mm-hmm. Um, they were adamant that that was the only way to live. Yeah. Um, connected, you know. And so I think that that's probably part of what we live. And again, I'm not trying to bag on my home church because inside that church were both examples for me. Yeah. Um, these negative examples and these incredibly positive examples of people who left a lineage um, that I still think about and still impacts me to this day. So I think that it would just be an incredibly shallow... It'd be like getting a ticket to Disneyland and just sitting, going into the the park and spending nine hours with your butt on the turnstile. Right. It's just, what a waste. Yeah, Yeah, you're in. Right, but you're not in, yeah, right. and you didn't experience it. Well, what a waste! Yeah, yeah. I think that, um, and that's this, I think the story of the Bible is trying to invite us into something far richer. Yeah. Than than that. Yeah, that's so good. So talk to us then about now. Again, we're going to spend the next two months deep diving into these, but give us and we did some of this in the teaching. Sure. But um, just as a recap, give us now if loving God is not primarily just the eliciting of particular sets of feelings and emotions 
uh, what is it? At least through the Abraham's Abraham. life. Yeah. What, what are the key components? Well, one of my core convictions here, and I'm an English major, so I was... I majored in English. I taught English in high school. Um, it's I'm a that's what I am. So I'm an English major. So I look at the lens of the Bible uh, literarily too. Yeah. And one of the things that happens in the Bible is I believe to my core that the stories in the Bible and the Bible has all sorts of different types of literature. Yeah. But the stories in the Bible are what the Greeks might have called eratological from the Greek word aretes, which means virtue. Stories by their nature are virtue forming. Hmm. As we read a story, we are formed in virtue as we read it closely because we inhabit the character. We see how the character reacts. We see what the character does or does not do. And then we begin to make decisions based upon what we would do in that. And we relate to the character or distance ourselves from the character. And this is why story is so powerful for humans. We keep doing it. We keep... So if you think about your favorite movie or your favorite book, your favorite characters, you relate to them. Why why do you relate to them? Because they're forming virtue as you go through their story, as you read it. And in the story of Abraham, we see God move first in his story in dramatic and incredible ways to rescue Abraham from an incredible dead end, historically, spiritually, relationally. And he's just, he's, he's, he's at a dead end. God moves first. And then out of that God moving first in incredibly gracious ways, Abraham didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't call forth the response from God because he was so great. God just did it because God's that good and yeah. God cares that much. And he intersected Abraham in his life and real history in real time. And as a response to that, in in response to that, Abraham shows his allegiance, shows shows his love to mm-hmm. this Yahweh Creator God, in a couple of different ways that are really challenging for me. That are kind of like, um, they're like tests, or they're like ways for me to, um, areotologically to examine my own life to see if I can be virtuous like Abraham was virtuous, or. Conversely, to avoid the pitfalls where Abraham wasn't virtuous. And there's a couple, there's a lot of points in this story where he wasn't. One of the ways is he is faithful to Yahweh in the land of Baal, where making an, he makes an altar to Yahweh. In Baal the, being a Canaanite pagan yes, god, false god. Of, yeah. yeah. So he's in a land of Canaan, and they have a god, a local regional god, Baal. And when you enter into a new land, you make an altar to that god. Yeah. And Abraham does not. He makes it to Yahweh. He makes it to this God who he encountered. And that is really challenging to me. That's inspiring to me because it's like we live in a land of lots of different idols. Yeah. Even in Silicon Valley, our idols are different than they are in L.A. They're different than they are in Miami. Yeah. They're they're the idols of each region. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they're different than my hometown of Dayton, Ohio. They're just they're just different idols. Where they idolize cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, and that's that's delicious. Um, actually, in Cincinnati, they have a thing, uh, the Skyline Chili Dogs. So oh. they're, they're chili are they, dogs. Are they awesome? They're, they're pretty darn good. You ever have a Chicago dog? With the cream cheese? No, no, no. Like classic Chicago dog, like Portillo's. Oh, yeah. Chicago with dog. The, with the sausage and the peppers? Yeah, peppers, tomato yeah. slices, yeah. Uh, cucumbers usually in yeah, there, some onions. pretty good. The best. I don't even like hot dogs. No, Chicago the, the, dogs. Yeah, Chicago dogs Holy are pretty smokes. good. Holy smokes. Anyways, we, Wait, yeah, we anyway. digress. So in, <laughs> last week we talked about uh, cheesesteaks, and that was delicious. Regional food. Um, so I think that for me, there's a there's all sorts of idols, yeah. and I'm prey to them. And there are times yeah. when, if I'm honest, 
I accidentally or slip into idol worship. Um, they're things that replace God in yeah. my own life. And so I, I would love to be the, a kind of man like Abraham, who in a land of foreign idols, stake my allegiance and my primary loyalty to Yahweh, the creator God. Yeah. The second so thing that, he, that's a part of loving yeah, God. That's a part of loving Staying God. Loyal, yeah. committed. Because loving. that's a part of, I think about your, your, your spouse or yeah, your kids. Any loving relationship any loving is, is loyalty. Like, yeah, loyalty. Yeah, yeah. And, and exclusionary loyalty. Yeah, right. Now that grates against our culture, which says that, oh, there's lots of different ways to, there's lots of different things, just doesn't matter. You know, it's yeah, so, totally. it, that creates against our culture. Yeah. The second thing he does is there's so many demands that God makes of him. He asks him to do things and Abraham does them. Even though they don't, God doesn't often give him all the information. Mm -hmm. There's this moment where he asks him to leave his land, his family, which is his security, his identity, his fiscal security, mm -hmm. his livelihood, yeah. to go to a land he doesn't even know. I mean, this is incredibly risky. That's seven, eight hundred miles away. Yeah. Um, that God will eventually show him. So what he he doesn't even have right of veto. Like if God said to you right now, I want you to move. And then the next question you would be would be where? Right. And they'd be, well, I want you to move to Miami. And you'd be like, sweet. That's a sweet town. <laughs> They've got great beaches. I can't wait. But if they said, if God said Arkansas, you'd be like, no, no, I'm not doing that. You would like to retain, I want to retain veto power. Apologies to all our listeners in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> I know there's a contingent of you. Apologies. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm, so, sure, I'm sure it's nice there. I'm sure it's beautiful. Anyway, the the point is, yeah. Where, where should I have? I I, I should maybe I should have cho chosen another like. A, <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, Saskatchewan. <laughs> Nobody likes Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan's the worst. And if you live in Saskatchewan, you probably hate your life. So um, anyway, the point is, um, I want to retain veto power over God's decisions in my life. Right. And Abraham, it says he just he went. He he exhibits incredible trust and obedience and. There are times when following Jesus doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it requires things of us that seem like we're going to lose that which is most important to us. That we're mm -hmm. not going to be happy or we're going to and we're going to lose something. We're going to lose out. We're going to miss out. And God is like, obedience to me is trusting, trusting that I have your best interest. Yeah. Will you trust me? And there's lots of times when I don't do that. I'd like to be the kind of man like Abraham who... Who goes? Yeah. Who trusts, even yeah. when it doesn't make sense? Yeah. So trust is is a key part of loving God. Yeah. yeah. I think back when I was uh, when my son had an ear infection when he was like two, I was trying to give him medicine, and my son like would not take it. Hmm. He's like, no, I'm not going to take that. That's bad. I'm yeah. like, you have to take this. This is this is what's going to heal you. Right. You have to take this. And my son fought and fought, and he he refused. And he screamed and he fought me, and I was so deeply offended like my son my whole life has been to serve you right like and now you don't trust me yeah like what it it and anyway so it kind of reminds and i'm like that with god yeah and i'm like that with god yeah yeah um well, yeah what's another way the, what's another yeah the third one the life? third one is is pretty controversial not necessarily in our culture but in some sectors of Christendom, and that's um, there's this moment in Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where the city has descended into moral chaos, mm. evil, great evil. And the word is the outcry has reached Yahweh's ears. And mm. the word outcry is this really powerful word. It's used 
In Exodus, when the slaves um, who are Hebrew cry out, they outcry. Mm. It's used in uh, Mosaic law when a woman is being sexually assaulted and she outcries, she yeah. cries out. This is a horrible word. It means a grave injustice has been committed. And God comes down to investigate, which I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. And then he has this incredible story, this moment where he goes to Abraham's camp, who's camping above the city, and he says to his two travel companions, um, these two angels, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he's like, no, I'm not going to hide from him because Abraham is a man who practices justice and righteousness. Mm. And that to me, that jumped out, this, this two Hebrew words, siddakah and mishpat, mm. there, there's these two words that mean justice and righteousness. And as I did a deep dive into them, basically what they mean is the, uh, Abraham lives in such a way that he does what's right, he loves what's right, and he sets things right. Mm. And that's what those words mean. The Siddiqah and Mishpat, justice and righteousness, are ways of living out God's moral and ethical character in the realm of human relationships and integrity before God. Yeah. And that is the... And, 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 and then what God says after that is, and because of this, he will be a blessing to all the nations. And what struck me there is the way that we are... One of the ways mm. that God's people are a blessing to the nations, is in a world full of oppression and injustice, we actually bring shalom. Mm. We bring God's good rule. We bring God's justice and righteousness. Shalom meaning peace. Peace, the peace right. of God, yeah. Right, and we bring justice and righteousness. We bring these 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 things into yeah. the world. Yeah. And so Abraham exhibits that. And so, of course, in this world, after this past year, with all of the outcries mm. of injustice that we've seen from so many sectors, and you, we, I, I can pick any of them, I realized this is this is critical. We have to be, as Christians, we have to be people who, and I want to be a person like Abraham, who God looks at me and says, this person loves what's right, does what's right, and helps set things right. Yeah, that, and that's the phrase, right? Loves what's right, does what's right, and set, set yeah. things right. Yeah, and there's multiple, yeah. there's multiple dimensions to this. It's not just... It's very public. Hmm. Um, so that's what I, that's the third thing. And then the last yeah. thing is this, and this is probably the, what's weird is this is probably the most famous story by artists. As I did some investigation, you saw more artists ca- looked at this moment and captured this moment and studied this moment. It's the binding hmm. um, or the, the test of Abraham and Isaac when he goes up to the mountain and hmm. God asks him to sacrifice his son um, the word for this in the in the Jewish um, kind of history is the akeda, which means the binding. It means the binding of 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 Isaac by mm. Abraham, and it's this moment where the world falls apart for Abraham, and not just a little bit, but completely. And yeah, because God asks him to sacrifice his own son, his only a son, son, he's been waiting a very long time for a son God promised to give him. Yeah. yeah. And God looks like he's going back on his very character and his very promise. Right. And the very thing that he had been promised was about to be ripped away from him. Not to mention, it just feels blatantly evil. It, it's horrific. For, it's upside and down. at the time, child sacrifice was regular common practice right. amongst the pagan gods. And for this God to now sort of, it's almost like a revelation. Oh, you're just like one of them. Yeah. Just an evil, maniacal. Yeah, absolutely. And... I thought you were good, God. Yeah. I, th- I thought you I thought promised. You were different. I thought, I thought you were. I thought yeah. you promised to be different. I thought yeah. you promised to be gracious. Right. To bless me. Yep. Um. That you would bring good things, and that, what, maybe you're just like every other evil, vindictive God. Yeah. And 
the thing that, you know, you and I re- realize this as, as people who have been pastors for a while, when suffering hits, those are the questions that enter into the human yes. heart. Yes. When life falls apart and the world falls apart, the question is, is God even good? Right. And in this moment, Abraham has this incredible refrain, and the story says it multiple times, the Lord will provide. Yeah. Jehovah Jireh. Yes. And as Abraham marches up this mountain... And this is the same mountain that later on a city called Jerusalem will be built on. Mm-hmm. This is the same mountain that outside that city gate of Jerusalem, another man would march up a hill with wood on his back, another son mm-hmm. to be offered to be killed. Yeah. And that's Jesus. And as you stare at these two stories, you see that God stops Abraham from this horror. And, and then... God himself experiences the horror of losing his own son. Yeah. And that's, I think, what part of what this, this is one of the primary metaphors the Bible uses for what God is doing through the person of Jesus. Right. And Abraham has to go through that, and it's horrific. Um, but God provides. God provides a, um, a ram, and then later on he provides the lamb yeah. um, of Jesus. And Jesus willingly walks up that hill just like Isaac walked up that hill. And so when life falls apart, and it will fall apart, and I wish that weren't true, but as I prepare, and there's going to be a moment, Jay, when my life's going to fall apart, and I'm going to need you to remind me of this. Right. And I don't want that to be true, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the listeners, man, I wish it weren't true. I wish I could just give you a pass and have every day be filled with nothing but joy, but that's just not the way this life is. Right. And so when life falls apart, do we believe that God will provide? I mean, yeah. steadfastly believe that somehow... Even though I have no idea how, God will make good come of this. And that's what Abraham does. Yeah. And I want to be that kind of man as well. Right. So those four things really struck me. And they're also diagnostics. Yeah. They're like, are there areas where I have an idol? Where I'm not actually allegiant to, yeah. to God above all? Are there areas where God's asked me to do something and I just don't want to do it? You know, I'm being disobedient. Or I know what's right. Or I'm not even consulting God. Right. That's the other thing I do. I just live life and I'll just make my own plans. And God, if you could please bless it. Am I practicing justice and righteousness? Do yeah. I love what's right? Do I, do, do, I, do I hear outcries and then actively move to, to do something about that? Yeah. You know, am I that kind of person? And then lastly, when life falls apart, maybe not my own life, but in other people's life or in my own life, do I trust that God will provide? Yeah. Those things are ways that we actively, diagnostically show that we love God. Mm. And for me, it has been so helpful. And just in the last 18 months, almost a daily, God, these four questions, this Abrahamic righteousness, is there something that's lacking? There's something that's missing? Is there an opportunity for me to enter deeper? Is there a way for me to show my own children mm. how to do this, how to live this? What does this look like? My son's entering into college application processes. He wants to go into business. It would be very easy for him to shuttle God and just go after money. Right. And that's not justice and righteousness. Mm-hmm. That's not using your gifts and talents to bring about something good in the world. Uh, there's all sorts. That, that's one example of a million right. different ways. Um, my daughter struggles with anxiety. Um, in some ways, this is about trusting that God's really good, even if things are scary. Yeah. Um, there's a million different ways. And trying to show this in my yeah. own life. and that's in. So that's what this story of Abraham that's why it's virtue forming because yeah. as as you interact with it you can see these things yeah it forms the virtue of real genuine deep abiding love in us 
that as you um, so well said, and as we'll explore further in the series, is uh, it's action based. It's it's about our motivations and our intentions, um, our willingness to trust when it's hard to trust, to stay loyal when it'd be easier to, you know, go the other way, to seek justice, righteousness, to expect God to be good even when. When everything falls apart, yeah, such good stuff. Well, we're um, we're super excited uh, to journey in this series yeah, with all of you too. guys. You know, Dave just gave us again an overview, but we're gonna like deep dive into each of these thoughts and ideas and these stories for multiple weeks life. each one. Yeah, because yeah, they're deep. Yeah, and the the goal is you know that we become that this is virtue forming, like you said, that we become the sorts of people who truly, truly, deeply love God with our lives. And uh, yeah, that's our hope and our prayer. So Dave, thank you for writing the book oh, and man, getting us set up for this series. Thank you guys for, for being with us. And uh, we're, we're really excited. So uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week. I don't know how we end these things. I think we I don't we, usually host. Normally we talk about a food product that you've eaten in the last week that you've really loved. Well, I just ate some fish. We both ate some fish tacos this afternoon. From La Cueva. For lunch. And oh, that was delicious. So good. So good. I do love fish tacos. Mm. Best fish tacos, though, that I've ever had. For oh. me, it's in Kauai. Oh, well, well, I mean, that's tough to beat. Where'd you go? Um, Oscars in San Diego, everybody. Ooh. Go to Oscars. Mm. Incredible. Or Kauai. It was a roadside roadside stand. Uh, San Diego's a little closer. It is a lot closer. But, you know, either way. San Diego, Hawaii, (laughs) both both cities, both places, very beautiful. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Bye. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Afterward. It's time for Bible Nerd Out time. Oh, this is my favorite with Sarah K. Lee. Sarah, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Dave. Now, people don't know this, but you were an instrumental part of this book. You actually helped kind of craft this book. You were kind of an editor. You were, in essence, you were the editor, uh, both yes. grammatically, uh, editorially, and theologically. We we went back and forth in this. Um, so you you had your hand in this book. And so, I, first of all, thanks for doing all that work because it was a lot of work. It was, and it was my pleasure. Okay, so fun. Yeah. So what? What did you learn kind of in the process? Because I think it's it's fun to to also to talk about that, because as you were delving into Abraham and his life, like what kind of things, even looking back on the project, what jumps out at you? Yeah, Abraham, I think I was skeptical at first that Abraham was a, a model of loving how to love God, but it really is. Like I just learned so much about Abraham's life, his story, the connections all throughout the Bible. And that was just really neat, really powerful to see. So let's dive into that because Abraham's called the father of the faith. Abraham is referred to as this. So you even kind of made a fun chart here because we were looking at like how important Abraham is to the New Testament authors. Obviously, I think if you and I were to make a fantasy football draft of the most important biblical characters and members of the Trinity are excluded from the draft. You can't, you can't draft members of the Trinity. <laughs> Abraham's top four. I mean, it's Abraham, for sure. Moses, David. David, Peter, Paul, and Mary, some order. Like, I mean, it's not, those are the top six in some order. Um, but let's talk about the New Testament appearance of Abraham by the authors of scripture. So, cause you kind of made, uh, even a handy dandy chart, just tracking the number of times he appears. 
I did. That's just fun to get the statistics. I, I like it. Abraham, he appears, I guess, first for reference. I mean, he obviously his story is from Genesis 11 to 25. So he's there almost 150 times his name shows up. But then the rest of the Old Testament, 83 times. And then when you look at the New Testament, he showed up 72 times. So almost on par with the rest of the Old Testament besides his own story. Right. If you check out his story, right. It's it's so the New Testament's much shorter than the rest of the Genesis Old Testament. So the the authors of scripture really are are pushing this. So there's yeah. 20 there's 27 books in the New Testament, and Abraham or his story or references to him appear in what in is it? 10. 10. 10 of the books, all four of the gospels, right, and, and Acts, and then several of Paul's letters, Hebrews, James, First Peter. Yeah, he's all over. Right, right. Um, and he's called, actually, Paul refers to him as the father of the faith. Um, and it's not just Christians who believe that Abraham is the father of the faith. Just in, even in the research that we went through, um, the, the Hebrew people, Jewish people consider him the father of, um, he, he's the spiritual forefather, the father of all who have faith. And then right. um, the Muslim population in the world, they see him, uh, Abraham as the father of the Arab people. Um, right, and that's because of the two sons. Isaac becomes the lineage for the Jews, the Jews, and then Ishmael is the lineage of the Muslims. Yeah, and they pronounce it Ibrahim. Ibrahim. Uh, yep, mm-hmm. that's right. Same character. Yeah. So let's talk about um, what what kind of verse jumped out at you in terms of what verse? If somebody was like, "Hey, how do the New Testament authors?" about Abraham, which verse would you point them to to say, hey, this is kind of an important one? Well, there's, I would go to two. And the first is actually a double. So in Romans and Galatians, Paul spends a lot of time talking about Abraham and that how all nations will be blessed through him. And that, again, that he's the man of faith, the father of the faith. Yeah. So the, the Gentiles being included with the Jews into the So this we're family. talking we're talking Romans four, I think, right? Romans That's, chapter four, Galatians chapter three. Yep. Okay. Big emphasis. Uh-huh. So I'm going to read some stuff. Romans 4 16. I'll just read this. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law. He's talking there about people who are Jewish. But also, the, yeah, observant Jews, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. I mean, so this is Paul saying Gentiles and Jews together. You don't have to be of the physical lineage. You can be of the lineage of the faith of Abraham. And the faith he's referring to is the loyalty and allegiance and belief in Yahweh, the creator God and Jesus um, out of that. So it's Paul is Paul is really talking up Abraham as a, as a, as a progenitor, as a father. Right. And that's where he, it'll lead into, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There's no male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And it's all sons and daughters, children of Abraham. And then the other one you said was, um, would you say Galatians? Is that what? Yeah. Just a recent favorite Galatians 3, 8 says the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. 
And so he's quoting Genesis 12, 3, that all nations will be blessed through you. Right. And it's just, when you read that and slow down, like the scripture is the one that announced the gospel to Abraham in the Old Testament. And what is the gospel? That it's that all nations will be blessed, that Jews and Gentiles will be justified and made righteous by their faith. Yeah. And I just think that's really cool that yeah. the one gospel of the, is in the Old Testament. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's also interesting is we, you kind of came up with this term or you heard this, I think you might've heard it from somewhere that Genesis 12, this moment when God comes to Abraham and says, all nations will be blessed for you. Uh, it's called the grand central station of the Bible. And, and the idea is that of all the verses in the Bible, this one has so many hyperlinks, including to, you, you even said, you think it's actually a rephrasing of the great commission to, to go into all the nations and make disciples that right. that's actually just a rephrasing or a different phraseology for this Abrahamic covenant promise that comes in yeah. Genesis 12, three. Yeah. It's huge. That's it's awesome. It's really neat how the scripture it's alive and active. It's not passive. Like it's, yeah, it's, um, announce making announcements. Yeah. Even, even the, now Abraham's the father of the faith, but that's not just the point of this book. It's not a historical study on how important he is, but we focus on the fact that Abraham is actually a model for the faith. And I think that this is what Paul is trying to say. All those who are, are like Abraham, who have the faith of Abraham, who act like Abraham, who, who take him as a model, are actually children of God. So there's, there's that aspect, too, of this. So talk to me about how Abraham's not just the father of the faith, but a model of the faith. Like, how did that jump out at you? So in the book of Hebrews, Abraham is the first, actually, I take that back. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 is kind of sometimes called the hall of faith or kind of a hall of fame, hall yeah. of faith. And it's on this long list of different characters in the Bible who had faith. And Abraham is listed in there multiple times um, that he, by faith, he obeyed God by faith. He, when God tested him, he obeyed, he offered his son Isaac as a test. And so, yeah, he's just considered the father of the faith and a model of being faithful toward God. Yeah, kind of what it looks like. And we're going to get through that for the next nine, 10 weeks. So we're going to delve into all the ways that he is a model. <sighs> this is hard because obviously God moves first, but that doesn't mean that there's not something that we do like, um, yeah, you know, that works somehow is not just, you know, there's a works, get a bad rap in essence. We're not earning, but what, what's that Dallas Willard quote? Uh, yeah. It's, God's not opposed to effort only to earning. And I think with works, what we just have to distinguish is between good works and evil works. I, mm -hmm. I think that was helpful for me is that we do Philippians 2 12 says we have to work out our salvation. There's work to do, but, and it, but it's good work and it's hard work, but God's there with us and he's empowering us with his spirit to do these works. Yeah, that's good. Well, there's lots to jump into Sarah. So thanks for your time delving into uh, the, the, the presence of Abraham in the new Testament. Well, Sarah, thanks for that. And uh, we look forward to checking in with you the rest of these weeks. Cause there's a lot that we're going to delve into. So it'll be fun.
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Just want to say thanks to Jay and Sarah for joining me. Join us next week where we really start delving in to the backstory and the history of Abraham and his story in the Bible in Genesis. And also just kind of start diving deep into Abraham's life. And we're going to learn what a ziggurat is. And if you don't know what a ziggurat is, well, you're about to. So that's next week. Don't Google it. Just come back. It'll be great. See you then.